we are a people who are broken. And so we ask this question, how do we grow as a church community, as a faith community, to be a place where the truth can be told? How do we move into that territory? And then, not just to sit there, but to understand and to believe that there's healing. That the Holy Spirit can pour out healing into our lives when we open, when we tell the truth, when we open up the truth before him and before those around us. This, uh, this sermon may feel kind of repetitive. I'm going to be actually repeating a lot of the things that we've gone over in the last couple of weeks. And I actually think, well, it's not as flashy, you know, we always want a new idea. Oh, I've never thought about that before. That's really interesting. Stick another feather of knowledge in our hats. But actually, on the journey of discipleship, some of the things, that are, an aspect that I think is really critical is repetition. Not just learning something and moving on. I'm like, all right, well, I learned that. That's great. But taking another step deeper into what God is saying. And so this, this is a summary message that is asking you, how are you going to step a little more deeper into that? We're becoming aware of our brokenness. For myself, I've been going through this thing called Freedom Session that we've been doing on Monday nights, a group of us. And God's been showing me how often when I'm on my phone, I'm numbing or escaping from the things in my heart that I'm often not even aware of that uh, are causing pain or discouragement. And, uh, you know, when you probably heard me say it before, we used to get home from work and, and my dad would be sitting there reading the newspaper or he'd read a magazine or whatever. Like, that's where I get my news now is on my phone. And that's not a bad thing. But how often do I zone out my lazy boy chair? I'm just on my phone and I think, oh, this is fine. This is whatever, right? But I'm actually stepping back from and not engaging with those around me because there's things in my heart that I'm feeling that I'm trying to kind of push away and, and ignore. And God's been showing that to me. So that's one area of brokenness that I'm, I'm trying to allow God's healing to kind of speak in and, and show me like what are the things underneath, the identity stuff that I, I need to address so that I can engage and be more present with my family and have healthy, thriving relationships. Many of you will have missed this because it was only in the second service, but the other week when Gareth Goosen was here with us, there was actually a, a powerful moment in which he said he, he didn't feel as bounded by time with the second service, of course, and so we dove into this area a little bit, and he just shared the story with us. For those who are here for the second service, you heard it, where he said, in the last couple of years, there were two instances in which anger just like powered up through him in these moments of conflict, and he said he remembers just like banging on the, on the roof of his car, and it was all he could not do to, to punch another fellow. He said, and it was a Christian brother, and he remembered being like, like a generally kind, peaceful guy. He's like, where did that come from? And, in this, and he was emotional as he told us this, and he said, and God's been saying, I got to take this back to God. There's stuff, there's stuff in there that I got to deal with. There's stuff in there that I need to invite God into more fully to bring that healing. And so there's just two examples. And I point to that because some of you will remember that. Gareth shared that publicly. And I was just, I thought it was a powerful moment of transparency where we can be like, man, like if that's his story, this guy's been like a pastor and had his own like church ministry for years and years. And he's up there saying, I got this stuff I got to work on. And there's these moments I'm, I'm embarrassed about and that are painful. Um, what are those things for us? And so I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. I think this is a powerful 
And again, we're circling back. I actually, this was the main text in our first message in this series. But I think it's a really powerful one for this journey of, of healing. And David, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. But you who are my Savior and my tongue, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The key, I think, foundation in this journey of healing is understanding God's mercy. Why do we keep our brokenness to ourselves? And I I include not acknowledging that with God. You know, we all know God sees everything we do. We all know, you know, we we confess our sins. But but how often do we, I don't even, I know God knows it and I believe I'm forgiven through the, the blood of Jesus, but I don't really want to hold it out and ask God to explore this with me. Why do we keep it private, not sharing it with those we trust, our brothers and sisters on the journey of faith? I think that foundationally comes down to we don't believe in the power of the mercy of God. We're afraid to admit how truly messed up we are because we're not sure if the mercy of God can cover us. Verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, David is saying, according to your unfailing love. God's love will not fail you. And when we experience God's mercy, when we bring our sin to him, those are opportunities to realize his mercy more fully. God is rich in mercy. Rich. He's not going to run out. He loves to give you his mercy. I don't believe that God is begrudging about it. I don't believe God's like, oh, are you serious? I have to give you mercy again? God is rich in mercy. I think he finds great joy in extending his mercy to you, even as our sin pains him. I think he finds great joy in that. That's why Jesus went to the cross. God is rich in mercy. 
So the first step in this healing journey is receiving God's mercy. On a related note, other people are probably way better at extending mercy to you than you expect. I've heard from a number of people, and I have one situation more recently in mind in which someone was struggling with their brokenness, and they opened up and they shared with a couple people around them, and they were terrified. They're like, they're going to push me away, they're going to reject me, they're going to want nothing to do with me. And this person came back being like, I, I, like, I, I can't believe it. He said, they love me. He said, they actually kind of stepped toward me with care and compassion when I revealed this incredibly destructive thing that I'd been up to, this sin. Satan wants you to be trapped in your sin. That, like, that just brings him a ton of joy. He wants you to be trapped and isolated in your sin, and so he will tell you that God could never actually forgive you, and or he will tell you that the people around you will not forgive you. He'll lie to you over and over and over and over again because he does not want you to open up. He does not want you to find healing. And so I ask, will, will you actually call him out on that lie, call his bluff, and confess it to God and confess it to someone close to you? Call Satan's bluff and start this journey toward healing. And David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. The second piece then is to seek healing. David goes on, he says in verse 10, he says, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's like, I want my heart to be clean. I want to be steadfast. I want to be faithful. I want to be right. I want to be full of love. And we understand that God, through the, through the blood of Jesus, when we place our faith in him, he washes us clean, whiter than snow. So there's this, we're already saved. But then we enter into this process of being saved. And so I think that positionally before God, our hearts are made pure, but then we enter into this process of healing so that functionally our hearts can become more pure. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? We're pure when we place our faith in Jesus through what, through what he did at the cross. That's done, that's settled. You're pure in the eyes of God. And yet our hearts are unhealthy. Whether it's hurt other people have done to us that we're struggling with, things that we've done to other people, God wants to make that pure. He wants to make us steadfast. Start this journey of healing. And so join with David in crying out to God with these words. Decide to seek God's healing now. A wise therapist whom I know said that most women reach out for help, reach out of their brokenness somewhere in their 50s. This is a generalization, but it's often in their 50s when women come face to face with their brokenness and their pain. And then the therapist proceeded to say, it's actually often in their 70s that men reach out for help and come face to face with their brokenness. Once they have a whole lifetime of saying, these are the things that I'm actually feeling this hurt from. These are the things that didn't work out. These are the ways in which life didn't unfold. It's interesting, eh? Women in their 50s, men in their 70s. That's a generalization, but that's what this therapist said in terms of those who seek, at least on a professional counseling basis. And so I want to say, don't wait until you're 50. Don't wait until you're 70. Don't wait until you're 36 like me. 
If you're here and you're under 25, if you're watching and you're under 25, one of the wisest things that you could do is start this journey of healing now. Why? Because if you start healing and addressing these areas in your life, your spouse someday, your friends, your kids won't have to feel the negative effects of your brokenness. And I'm not saying we can get it all figured out and everything, all of our ducks in a row, but if we start on this journey, if you'd have told me when I was 20 that I would be feeling some of the things I feel when I'm 36, I'd be like, no. Like, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I, I got stuff, but I'll, I'll grow in it. It's all right. I remember at Bible college, there was a course called Soul Care. I don't need that. I'm fine with God. Just give me some theology courses. Give me some church history. Give me some like practical on the, ministry, on the ground ministry stuff that I can do. Give me information and action. I don't need soul care. I wouldn't have said that explicitly, but that's how I felt. I wish when I was 20 that someone would have sat me down and said, and, and maybe they did. Maybe I didn't have the ears to hear, but they would have said, what's the junk that you're feeling that you need to start dealing with now? So that when you're 36, so that when you're 50, you're not looking back and like, oh man, like I can see. I can see that my kids are a little bit estranged from me. I can see that my spouse and I are struggling. I can see that I'm like wallowing in despair because my career didn't turn out the way it did. I ask, whatever stage you're in, and I ask particularly if you're 25 or younger, decide to be super wise and address, start addressing this now because you will save yourself a lot of trouble And you will save the people around you from pain that they will experience because of you. Start this healing journey. The next key is to move forward with hope. Move forward with hope. So the first piece was God is rich in mercy. The second one is seek healing. The third one is move forward with hope. David in verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressions your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. David wrote this in response to the prophet Nathan calling him out for adultery and for arranging the death the murder of another of that woman's husband. He had bloodshed on his hands. Horrible sin. And yet in his repentance, he understood because of God's mercy, he can move forward with hope. He was already thinking, God's going to call me into this place where I can teach other sinners your ways so that they would turn back to you. He's already saying, I can live a life with my tongue declaring the righteousness of God. He has hope to move forward from this point. It's another lie that Satan's going to speak to you. He's going to say, God can't use you. Sure, you're forgiven, but God couldn't use you. Do you remember what you did? Do you know the ways that you suck at life? He's going to tell you that. And he could have told David, I'm sure he did, Tell David that also. God used 
David for his glory to bring goodness and truth into the world following his sin and his forgiveness. And he wants to use you also. So that's the other area. I'm going to ask you to call Satan's bluff. Don't let him get away with that. Like, no, God can use me. God's given every single one of you gifts. Ways in which he wants to pour out his love, his goodness, his truth to those around you, to those in your neighborhood. Move forward with hope that God is going to use you. Better days are ahead when we pursue healing. And so I invite you to develop that positive attitude. To say, we're, we're on the way up here. And of course, there's going to be two steps ahead, one step back, all of that. But start pressing forward. Move forward with hope. And the last piece is to create space with God. In his book, Rob Reamer kept saying over and over and over again, if you want to see healing, you've got to create space. It's not a matter of going through these principles. It's God who's going to change you, not a set of ideas. How are you going to get into his presence? And so this, this psalm, it doesn't have any verses that speak specifically to that, but if you look at the psalm, it's just what David was doing. He wrote this out. He's praying. He's talking to God. There's evidence that he's receiving God's word, God's voice in his life. Sit in the presence of God. Create space. You cannot expect healing. You cannot expect the goodness of God to flow as freely as you would like to see unless you're going to just be with God. I want you to imagine your kids at Christmas. Imagine you give your kid a drone. That'd be sweet. I've I've actually never flown a drone. It'd be cool to fly a drone. Buzzing around, maybe take some photos or whatever. That'd be a lot of fun. So imagine you give your kid a drone. Kid gets it, opens it, super excited. And then they head out the door with their drone. They say, see ya. I'm going to try this out. It's Christmas Day and they don't come back all day because they're out in the field trying out their drone. How would you feel? Your turkey gets dry. Your cashews and your chocolate-covered raisins sit uneaten in the bowl. And the apple cider gets cold. And you're sitting there alone. You gave this gift because you love your child, but then they took off with it. Why do we give gifts? Good heavens, my kids don't need another toy. Sorry, guys, you don't need more toys. But you're going you're gonna to get toys for Christmas because I love you and because it facilitates that relationship. It communicates warmth and care and there's joy in seeing them play with a toy, right? We give gifts because it facilitates a relationship. It communicates something. And so the response when giving that drone is to say, thank you so much, and then to be in relationship, whether it's enjoying that together, enjoying it later, I, I don't know. But that's what we do with God. He gives us his gifts. We say, sweet, I'm forgiven. See ya. God's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm giving you my goodness because I want to be with you. I want to be with you. How are you going to sit in the presence of God to allow him to heal you? If you want to see change in your life, true, lasting, peaceful change, you will not find that unless... You can sit in the presence of God. So in conclusion, how do we keep living into this as a church? 
How do we create an environment where we can be open about what we're struggling with and courageously pursue healing together? Because we, we could continue to live life in such a way that I preach really, I, I hope, reasonably good theology. <laughs> I hope good theology. And then I say, all right, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And here's how you be obedient. We could do all of that stuff. And I'm going to continue to do all that stuff. But it's all going to be worthless. It's going to be a heap of rubbish. We're not going to see the fullness of God within us and through us if we don't do this interior work. This is it at the core. And so, and, and this has been my experience, and I want to move into this. When someone comes down and sits with me, a guy, and says, I've been struggling with pornography, and I say, okay, well, here's a couple of ideas. Here's a couple of action steps, whether it's accountability software or get an accountability partner or whatever. I say, and we pray together, and then they leave. That's not going to cut it. It hasn't cut it so far. Those who have found freedom, and there can be freedom that's found, is because they've done this work of healing. When a marriage is experiencing breakdown, it's not going to be as simple as to say, well, here's a couple of insights, and if you practice these two tools of communication, it'll be fine. That's not going to cut it. Because underneath, there's identity stuff. There's woundedness, there's hurt, there's bitterness, there's interior healing that has to happen. If you're struggling with the weight of shame because how someone once violated you. I I, I could go on and name one example after another, but for the things that we struggle with, it is not going to cut it to give a bit of information and a couple of action steps. It just isn't. And so if we want to grow, if we want to make these steps, we need to decide. You need to decide as an individual. We need to decide as a church, how are we going to progress in these ways so it's not just, oh, that was a good series, and leave it in the dust and move on to the next thing. But how are we going to keep growing in this? How are we going to create this environment? How are we going to heal these wounds that we carry? And so I ask that question, will you let God heal you? He wants to. God wants to heal you. He, he'd just be delighted. The question is, will you let him? Will you take your heart, hold it out, and say, God, here it is, like start doing surgery. Speak to me, expose this stuff. Surgery hurts, right? Like they give you, they knock you out or they give you a pretty significant anesthetics. It's going to be painful. Will you hold out your heart and let God heal you? How are we going to live into this? We'll have to explore this. And this is, as the elders have talked about it, we believe that this, this series and, 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 and the group that's jumping in a freedom session, a couple of these are the outworking of, last December we said as a team, God, what is it that you're leading us into in this year? And we identified a couple of themes, and a couple of them have sort of fallen off the radar because of COVID. But one of them was to pursue intimacy with God. And we believe that moving into this territory, this series, talking about it, living into it, is God directing us into intimacy with him. Because if we don't pursue this healing, we can't find this intimacy. So how are we going to lead into it? There's, there's a number of ways. 
One way, uh, Diane Lochner is going to be leading a Zoom uh, study group working through this book together. So you'll read a chapter and then you'll kind of discuss it together. That's one way. There, there may be maybe other ways. If you want to start a small group, talk to me working through this book. That, that'd be awesome. Read through it yourself. Something else that you've heard me talk about at points is Freedom Session. Frank Struth, the pastor of the Grand Bend Church of God, is an awesome guy. And he's experienced profound healing. Maybe you'll have the chance. He shares it pretty openly, but I'm not going to share it now. Profound healing in his life. Incredible transformation through this program called Freedom Session. And for a variety of reasons, it wasn't working out to do at his church. He said, hey, could I lead a group at your church through this? So under the radar, just to try it out, there's 12 of us that have been meeting with him every Monday night. I'm going through it as a participant. I'm not, we're sitting in a circle, like I'm not giving insight. I'm just, he's the one leading because I got junk I got to deal with. It's, it's 20 weeks. There's homework. It's hard, but it's digging into a lot of stuff we've been talking about. And it's our hope next fall to lead, to open this up to the to whole church and jump into it next fall. So I hold that out as, as keep that in mind. Don't, uh, maybe, maybe it's now, I might forget about this by then, maybe it's now you saying, you know what, like I need this, I don't know how to do it, and in your mind now, you say, you know what, next fall, I'm going to make that a priority. Maybe that's a decision you're going to make today. I, I can't say enough about how beneficial it has been, and I hope that in the months to come, you'll be able to hear from a few of us to kind of share how helpful it's been. So that's another, another way. We're going to be sharing stories, starting with a few of the elders uh, in our worship gatherings just standing up here and saying, this is what brokenness has looked in my life. You know, not throwing it all out there. Often all out there is for a group of two or three, but this is what brokenness has looked like. This is what God's saying. This is what healing is, has looked like or is beginning to look like. So sharing those stories. And, and the other piece is, I, I can't, we can't create a program to make this happen. It's really up to you, but it's opening up to someone you trust. If we want this to transform, these ideas to transform and change our church family, it's going to come down to you deciding to open up to people that you trust. Who is someone you look up to? Who's someone that knows you really well? Who's someone that's got your back? Say, hey, can we chat on the phone? Hey, can we grab a coffee? Hey, can we go for a hike? Hey, can I sit with you on your porch? And just start talking. Don't let Satan convince you that they'll reject you because of it. I better stop here. I'm <laughs> not having a second service. I'm kind of getting carried away here. So the concluding question I want to ask is, will you let God heal you? First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Every single one of you has at least one of those realities in your heart. And most of us have got a bunch of them in our hearts. When we read that, oh, it's easy. Oh, yeah, that one person is super slanderous. Well, how is that helpful? Let the Holy Spirit say, you know what? Here's what slander maybe looks like in your heart or envy. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tested that the Lord is good. Will you let God heal you? God, together um, we collectively say, or I, I think I can pray on behalf of us as a church, 
that we want your wholeness. We want to be healthy. We want to be whole. We want to be faithful. We want peace. And so we hold our hearts out to you and we simply ask through the power of the blood of Jesus, the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and heal us. Amen. All right. Well, that's it for today. Grab some mint smoothies. Purchase yourself a gnome. (laughs) And we ask that you just remain seated until an usher comes to lead you out and then to proceed straight on out through the foyer. Stick around and chat outside, spaced out. That'd be awesome. May God be with you today. Thanks for being here. See you folks who are online.